friends! Welcome to episode 74 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game up to the next level, I am Sarah. And I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? You know, surprisingly well considering how quickly I had to throw stuff together tonight. <laughs> <laughs> there was there was a flurry of, of technical prowess that happened at the computer today. <laughs> yeah, and if, if you didn't catch that, that was all live just a second ago. So... Yeah. <laughs> We squeeze things in when we can. So happy uh, International Podcast Day yes. for those of you just joining us. Yes, and for those who are listening to us live, like Hulavu and uh, Knox, thank you for joining us on the live chat. Yeah, We'd like absolutely. to see more people there. Um, but yeah, we it's it kind of came out of nowhere because I had forgotten about it, honestly. I haven't been listening to a lot of podcasts mm-hmm. on a regular basis, so I haven't been hearing the intros. And luckily, Vicky had been, and she's like, hey... International Podcast Day. Get on this crap. Right, right, <laughs> I'm right. like, oh crap, I'm a, I am a terrible person Rob, in our culture. Rob, what? we have a podcast. We do! <laughs> and we us. are terrible at marketing. Uh, but uh, no, really, it's it's a great thing, and I, I, I applaud all of those who pioneered before us, mm-hmm. and... I mean, there's a ton of shows out there, and there, yeah, some really of it has amazing content. You know, not like our little thing here, but like, <laughs> but I mean, everything from you know, like old radio style shows, like you, like you were talking about, uh, that have been rebirthed into this new thing. Um, people doing readings, like Clark's World does news. Uh, you know, in in quick events, like if you just want to get like a strip town version of the news that has no BS attached to it, you can get that. Yeah, you know, or game news, which mm-hmm. is a great way to get it if you're working on something else and you don't have time to read an entire article about the new X-Bone, you know? Right, right, You know, right. you want to know what's going on with that, just flip on a podcast. I assure you, someone's got one. Well, you know? it, was, it was certainly the podcast that I listened to um, uh, that, that, that kind of inspired us to start, or inspired me to approach you about starting this podcast. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I was I was listening to my gaming podcast. Uh, the, the uh, If you were listening earlier, I mentioned uh, uh, the EchoCast uh, mm-hmm. uh, with uh, Bond Diesel for uh, the Division 2. And um, there was a couple other Division 2 podcasts I was listening to at the time as well, and I, I was just thinking to myself, I was lamenting, like, man, you know, I wish there was something that I had the expertise on that, like, I could talk about. Like, I said, <laughs> but there's nothing that I really, like, know that well that, like, right. I could even, like, the, like, anybody would even want to hear me talk about, like, all I do is play D&D all the time for the last 25 years. Oh, my God. Hey, hold on a second. Rob. Exactly. <laughs> Rob. Rob. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Should we do a podcast? I mean, it's really not that hard. Well, could we just do it in our basement? I ain't doing it that way. Now we're in the basement. Go figure. You know? Right. <laughs> it just took us a little while to get back to here. So. It only took a plague. Yeah. Oh, man. So much is screwed up. Let's not even get into well, that. Oh, so anyways. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we have a topic tonight. We and do. we actually have a crap ton to talk about. Oh my god, we have so much to talk we, about. So we started this with the idea of, oh, we're going to do a mini-series. Do you think each one of these is going to have enough to talk about? Yeah, I think we could talk an hour about that. Well, then four pages later. It didn't even start with a mini-series, though. It started with, like, you know, we should talk about we should talk about encounter design. Like, how to build combat encounters. And like, well, you know, combat encounters aren't the only type of encounters. And then it just went from there. And we ended up with, like, what, seven show ideas or something like that out of it. Well, I said I wanted 20 shows before we did anything. Right. Like, and we did it, like, in a matter of minutes. We did, we Which did. was beautiful. But I think this miniseries idea is really, really great. I, uh, and I, I hope all you guys really enjoy it. So we're we're going to talk a lot about encounter design. And um, so you know, we'll start a little bit about talking about what an encounter is and stuff like that. And today's show is going to be about uh, specifically designing combat encounters in... And we're, again, we try to keep this as system agnostic as possible. So there's a lot of different... Um, issues to kind of look at when you're designing combat encounters just from an overhead standpoint um now obviously things like D, you know you have challenge rating and stuff like that to build things in with but 
just from the, the, the broad standpoint of building combat encounters, man, there's a lot to look at. Well, there's, and it's not just one system. And yeah. so, all right, so when we're talking about encounters, the, the whole miniseries wrapped around right. encounters, encounters are scenes that have, I mean, meaning. That's the shortest way that I can say it. So you're stopping the narrative, mm-hmm. you're, you're just speaking, to have the players do something that's important. Yes. To the story, whether it's important to them, whether it's important to plot, whether it, you know, what, what kind of lasting effect it is a scene like a scene in a movie, some sort of goal or stakes attached to it. So Correct. the reason we're differentiating this from a scene is because a scene can just be a conversation between a couple mm-hmm. people. There's no real stakes there. There's no real challenges there. It's not to say that it's not important to the narrative. Obviously, information gets exchanged there. It can move the story yeah. along. Players can want to have a scene with, you know, a shopkeep. Or yeah. they could want to have a scene with a noble or whatever. But an encounter is really when something happens. When there's a and, trigger, yeah. And the outcome is not necessarily, you know, preordained to that. Mm-hmm. And it, and it is, is significant enough that it will move the story in a direction. Yeah, and, and one of the things that kind of we went back and forth about, and I agree with, is that an encounter is not a scripted event. It is so when you're it can lead to or come from sure. uh, scripted events. But if you're if you're expecting your, your your players to be part of a large scale battle where you have a defined goal that the wall is going to fall and a rush of bad guys are going to come in and they should leave and you're going to kind of push them to leave. It is an encounter, but not really. It's a scripted event. Yeah. I mean, combat's going to happen, but you're still forcing the hand of a direction. There's not a lot of options involved in that process. And we're not saying that that isn't necessary. That does. A lot of times it happens at the beginning of stories to help bring about a story or bring about a piece of plot in Mm -hmm. a direct manner. You know, but it is not necessarily an encounter because they don't have their hands involved in changing what's going on. Exactly. Exactly. All right. So... Uh, you had jotted down some notes here. Um, is the three necessities for encounters? Yes. Now, uh, guy uh, who does the um, how to be a great game master is the one yes. who I'm totally 100 percent stealing this from because I think it is brilliant as he is brilliant. Credit where credits do. <laughs> not. I'm not going to say if you ever listen to the show. I 100 percent think you're a brilliant man. I think everyone should go check his shit out. I will make sure there's links up there because not only am I going to put the link up for this one, but for another piece at the end as well because he goes into a lot more depth about uh, combat. But the one, the three things he does talk about are stakes, options, and triggers are necessities for combat encounters. If you do not have good stakes, good options, and triggers, it falls to pieces, and it's obvious that it falls to pieces i mean uh the one example that he gives directly is your your players come across a bunch of minotaurs and you have a fight why like okay so you you know obviously there's the murder hobo gang you know who's just gonna murder whatever comes across their path but what are the stakes for the minotaurs Mm. i mean okay they're minotaur stakes it's a bad joke but anyways (laughs) um yeah but like, okay, so they're they have been. What are their stakes? They've been paid to go after the players, mm-hmm. right? So it's money. Well, maybe they kind of see the players geared up and ready to go into a dungeon, and they're like, they're fully geared, rusted, and ready to go. I'm not stepping in on that, right? Maybe it's not enough money for us. So that's that's where things can start changing, and what the triggers are. Mm-hmm. They may wait until they come out of the place. 
broken, bloodied, with less health potions, and their healer, you know, bleeding out of his eyes because he went down three times, you know? So basically what we're looking for is uh, narrative reasons why the encounter should happen. Correct. From both sides. From both sides. I mean, yeah. obviously obviously the players are going to have their own stakes in things, mm-hmm. but, you know, I don't think random encounters are ever truly random. No. You know, you should always at least have something in mind of, uh, you know, e- even if it is just like a pack of wolves, you know, uh, attacking you in the midst of the night when you're camping. Right. There should be a motivation for those wolves. <laughs> you should always keep in mind why that's happening, you know. Yeah. Well, when we'll get more into the the details of this but as we kind of break it down, but keep this in mind and we'll keep coming back sure. to it. So you got stakes for the for the NPCs. Yep. Okay. Um or even the PCs depending on the encounter. Sure. What else we got? Uh options. Mm-hmm. So it is everyone ready to attack? Is this is this combat just going to happen? Like bar fights can just happen from one guy spilling a beer on somebody else, but encounters can also be, uh, you know, and that's a tr- more of a trigger than an option. But is the option there to do it later? Meaning, do those guys see them in town and don't just jump them? They kind of hang off to one side and actually just kind of examine them mm-hmm. and gauge when's the right time to do this and if this is even worth it. Maybe the encounter. You know, you've got it scheduled to happen in this town, and you look at them and you're like, I don't want to put these guys there. So you scale back it to a social encounter. Mm-hmm. You know, the players see, you know, you see a bunch of mentors eyeing you up. Okay. What do you mean? Like they're going to jump us? Yeah, they, they seem to be hanging out by the side, but they're definitely checking your gear and things like that out. Oh, okay. Well, I'm going to go talk to them. You know, oh, oh great, great. You know, it's like, you know, hey, what, what, you know, why are you checking me out? Now there is options for an interaction. There could still be a fight mm-hmm. that comes out of that, but it could also just be the minors like, hey, 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 we don't want any business here. This is minotaur only dinner dining table. Get off, sure, you know, sure. kind of a thing. And then later on, be like, okay, yeah, we're gonna take you out now that you're a little not on your ball. You're drunk, you know. I, I'm thinking more back to um, like uh, in in my game when uh, the the voiceless ones, the, mm-hmm. uh, the one of the the, the rival gangs, uh. uh ambushed you guys on that bridge yeah um and i I had that fully set up as a combat encounter but i was i gave you the option of talking your way out of it exactly which is exactly the option you guys took we did we did um so you know there there was multiple ways to solve that encounter but it Mm -hmm. didn't mean that it wasn't an encounter anymore you know likewise us coming up on the um on the uh keep Mm-hmm. Or, or fort, if you will, that the the makeshift fort that was created by the uh, um, uh, mercenaries, mm-hmm. and like one of our players was ready to just roll up on them with some force and be like, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna state our place." And I'm like, "No, they've got the higher ground. We're we're not doing that. We're gonna have a conversation with these guys." Yep, yep. You know, and did you and, miss the two crossbowmen who already have you sighted? You know, you know I did not because I'm a combat person. And this, I'm like, that is death right there because right. they're gonna take out our casters and then we're gonna drag their bodies away and we're gonna cry a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, and so. That's where options of how and when things come together really have meaning. And then you have your triggers that come off of that. Like, what is going to trigger the combat? What is going to start that? Is it going to be a beer getting spilled? Is mm-hmm. it someone being told that they're weak? You know, is it is it, uh, is it the fact that they just need to see them a little on the loss? You know, mm-hmm. is, you know. There's a number of ways that you can trigger things and a number of reasons for it, but there has to be something that pushes it. Because, again, for the most part, nobody wants to die. Yeah. You know, they might get into some fights, but nobody wants to die. And we're going to kind of come back to that a few times in this as well. But, like, don't... Your players may be murder hobos, but that's because you let them feel that way about their encounters. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. 
you know, you got to lay that groundwork early. You've, you've got to teach your, you got to teach your players that, um, you know, what, what type of game you want to play, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it's a little, in part of your encounter design, um, this is a lot of where, where your teaching is going to take place. Mm-hmm. Um, so setting these triggers and setting these stakes for what will pass, you know, as triggering combat encounter and what will happen once that combat encounter starts. What options do you uh, do you do you allow them other than killing everyone in the room and destroying all the evidence? You know? Yeah. Um so I think, you know, early on, if you want to avoid murder hobos, uh the stakes should be um you know, for for your uh, for your NPCs should be that they don't want to die. Mm-hmm. So they're not going to use lethal force. No. Um you know, weapons, I think, should only come out if, you know, they feel necessary. But most people will just want to punch someone that they're angry with. You know? Right, right. Um, your triggers, uh, you know, triggers for such things can, can, can be all sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, leave the options open to talk things down, mm-hmm. de-escalate the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and, and leave other options. Yeah. If the players throw something wacky or unique out there... Maybe it makes a difference. Maybe an illusion gets them to walk away. Mm-hmm. Maybe they buy round for the entire pub, and now those guys are like, "Well, I can't not drink, otherwise we'll be suspicious." Let's drink. Yeah. And now they get drunk, and and suddenly they're carousing, and and they become friends. Exactly. And by the end of the night, you're like, "Oh crap! These we're now we're friends with these guys. We can't take them out." Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel bad. <laughs> you know. And now there's a different encounter the next morning. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Um. But let's let's talk about the planning. Like, how do you get to that point? Right. How do we How do we find our way to there? All right. So you're writing a story, right? Sure. Like, like any good storyteller of does. Um, and so you decide you're you're gonna, you're going to include a combat encounter for whatever reason. Um, the the very first thing you need to do is figure out what the purpose of that encounter is. Why are you dropping a combat encounter at this particular point in your story, or at this particular location? Um. So there's there's a there's a handful of reasons you might do this. Yeah. Uh, so the first, of course, you know, is the ubiquitous random encounter. Yeah. Um, sometimes you just need an encounter in there to kind of break up the monotony of things. Yeah. Um, you're. It, maybe they're traveling. Yeah. Maybe maybe you have a you have a week travel, you know, from point A to point B across some open countryside. Sure. Um, and not all random encounters have to be combat encounters, mm-hmm. but they can be. And yep. since we're talking about combat encounters, that's the type we're going to talk about. Yeah. Um, sometimes, you know, you just want to have some events that happened on the road right. so that it wasn't just a week worth of boring travel. Yeah, I mean. And sometimes you montage that. You say, hey, you, it, was, it took a week. You're there. Now let's have some story in the, in the next location. Right. But, you know, sometimes you throw, I don't know, bandits on the road, a pack of wolves, or something else. Right. Something else that's thematically appropriate for your game. Yeah, and, and keep in mind that a lot of times people throw uh, the encounters before a dungeon or something like that. Whereas, if players are going to go explore something, it doesn't mean that there aren't other people there exploring as well. Mm-hmm. So you don't necessarily have to have the vial of whatever it is, you know, uh, taking care of it. Like, for instance, oh, they're going into a crypt. Great. Does it have to be undead? No. Could be grave robbers. Mm-hmm. It could be, you know, uh, you know, maybe goblins got pushed in there because there was a bear outside. Uh, I had a giant fungus. Yeah. In, in, in one I, of my... I did the same thing, yep. technically. So, yep. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons for what something might be taking refuge in an area, mm-hmm. just like they are. If Maybe you're rolling for storm stuff. Maybe it's mouse guard. Mm-hmm. And, you know, somebody's oh, doing uh, somebody's doing some environmental stuff, some weather stuff, and it turns bad, and they're going to go take shelter. 
there's always kinds of things going on with those shelters. Mm-hmm. It, the weather can be one thing, but that shelter can be a whole other. You're not the only account. person seeking shelter. Exactly. 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 So. Uh, so actually, uh, Knox in the Box um, uh, it puts in our live chat here. So you're planning a random encounter? You should always do. And again, if it's combat, you should always be planning at some level. Because if you don't plan, you're planning to fail. Yep. Okay, so so actually, okay, and then, and, then he, and then he comments, excuse me while I roll what opponent you're going to have. You laugh, I've Knox, done it. but that's precisely what old random encounters were. were. Um, so, like, we, we should do another episode on uh, uh, taking the random out of random encounters. I think we actually have that on the list. Um, so, uh... Uh, We're going to address this more. Yeah. But. What, what, so basically, what a random encounter is, just to, to give a little more oh, more things here, is um, when we talk about triggers um, to your encounters. Mm-hmm. Okay. A lot of times, those can be deliberate in a lot of ways. Of like you you angered the big bad evil guy, so he sends his henchmen to come and you know deal with you. Okay. That's a trigger. You as the PCs have done something to cause that combat encounter to come to your doorstep. On the other hand, a random encounter is something that seemingly doesn't have a trigger to it um, that is quite so obvious. Um, so think, you know, like uh, you've camped for the night and local wildlife, like wolves, mm-hmm. are hungry and there and you guys look like snacks. It's bugbear mating season. Seemingly <laughs> random Yeah. in that you didn't really do anything to cause it other than wrong place, wrong time. Right. Um, and that's really where the random encounter comes from. Now, in older D&D, and I have done this, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you have, uh, you know, various areas or whatnot, like you might have them trekking through a swamp. So you go through your monu- monster manual. Mm-hmm. Monster manual oftentimes list monsters that show up in swamps. Mm-hmm. They'll actually categorize them by biomes like yeah. that. And so you can look through the swamps, uh, swamp things and go, okay, well, what's challenge appropriate for them? And jot down three or four options. And then... While they're traveling through, you might roll some dice and say like a 20% chance that they bump into something. Mm-hmm. And if they bump into something, maybe you roll another pair of dice to see which of the four options that you came up with are the thing that they're going to face that day. So, yeah, actually, excuse me while I roll what opponent you have is a thing. Yeah, and I remember uh, there's a, a Palladium was stock full of that because they loved their random tables. Um, a lot of the Robotech modules early on would give you what the percentage chance of having an encounter in the hallway was. And I think a lot of that early on was just to help storytellers figure out what was next, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to, to break up the, the, the pure narration of if you weren't prepared for it and, and give some extra things to have happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a lot of people also stuck a little too hard to it. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and you were like, well, there has to be an encounter because I rolled and I rolled 60 and that means that that's more than 20, which means they have an encounter that's going to happen on the table. Right, right. You know, for every four days of travel that you should roll a die and see, no, no, that's, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Just build, build your narrative, you know? That's right. That's right. Um, so, I mean, I'm not, I'm not huge on random encounters, but mm-hmm. you know, sometimes, sometimes it can be fun. Yeah. Sometimes it can be fun. Yep, yep. Um, all right. So other purposes for encounters, um, mm-hmm. it might be an obstacle to a larger goal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so I mentioned earlier the big bad evil guy sending his goons to stop you. Yes. Okay. Um, he's essentially putting obstacles in front of you to stop you guys from reaching your goal of stopping him. Yes. Okay. Um, it might also be something in the uh, the way of like uh, the denizens of a dungeon mm-hmm. defending their treasure. Um, I ran a uh, a dungeon for you guys where there was a bunch of undead in a crypt. 
because that's where they were buried. And it was essentially their, I mean, it was, it was their stuff, you know, they were defending their home, albeit from beyond the grave against you guys, the invaders who wanted to take their stuff. Yes. Yeah. That's it. That's, it's putting an obstacle in front of a larger goal. Okay. Um, Assault from an outside source. Now this differs from obstacles in that the the players are initiating the um, the intrusion upon the obstacle. Typically, they're the ones that have caused this obstacle to happen. Right. Whereas an assault from an outside source is they're on the defensive now. They are being attacked. An right. ambush. Um, a, an attack from somewhere they didn't know it was happening. Maybe there were just innocent bystanders when, say, five giant chromatic dragons decided to stack the capital city. Yeah. They just happened to be there. Yep. You know, things like that. Yeah. Um, it, you never know what you're riding into. But again, the key is is that no matter what the combat reason, there's a purpose that they're there. That there's a purpose that it's happening. Mm-hmm. Um. So that, and it's, you don't necessarily have to say the reason why this is happening is because I need to drop some plot. No, no, no. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about why is this combat happening based upon the actors involved? Exactly. That's exactly. the purpose that we're looking for here. Um, that then leads you into what is the expected outcome? Right. Like what are, you know, keep in mind, you're thinking expected outcome. Well, the bad guys are going to die. The heroes are going to survive or they're going to get wiped. And the, the, you know, or captured, depending on the, the system you're in. Or lastly, they're, they're just going to run away. Yeah. They're going to get away. Like, is that the only three options? And the answer is no. Not in no, the least. Kind of, but no. Um, I mean, the thing, you should always write an encounter with an expected outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, because you should always know why, kind of like where you want the story to move from the uh, from the encounter. Yeah. And what you want the PCs to get from the encounter. Yeah. Um, like how many times have you watched a, a cartoon and saw the bad guy? Like, I've got you now. Like, okay, now what are you going to do? Right. And they're like, uh, I will ransom you to whom I'm the rich guy. Like, what, what were you expecting? Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't think this through. Nope. Nope. You didn't clearly you didn't, you yeah. know? And that's the kind of thing that you need to be prepared for is that you, you can either give them intelligence or plan for that. Like, mm-hmm. okay, great. You captured us. Now what? Uh, we're going to rob you. We don't have anything. You knew that. Right. Like, we're a bunch of adventurers. Come on. <laughs> and the, I think that the thing is, though, is that a lot of people go into combat encounters thinking that they're all pitched life or death battles. Mm-hmm. They're not. And it's completely not it. There's so many different degrees to that. And sometimes fighting is not even the best option in a combat encounter. Yeah. Um, and animals know that, and, and like creatures know that way more than humans oh, do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, like, a, a couple, of the, couple of the expected outcomes I've jotted down. Um, uh, are the PCs expected to win? Yeah. I mean, this is good for if you need a heroic outcome mm-hmm. um, where the PCs are going to feel powerful. Yes. And they're going to wipe the walls with some just some minions. Um, but it may also be that the, 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 the violence is less of a threat to life and more of a punctuation mark. And what I mean by that is you ever get in a fight where you weren't expecting the fight to happen. And even though you handled that, you know, heart, you know, uh, very well and, and handily, um, it's actually just kind of shocking to you that the violence happened in the first place. Yeah. Like, I... What? I was not expecting that. Like, for instance, I mentioned earlier, the big bad evil guy may send minions mm-hmm. to go and slow the, the adventurers down. Those minions may just be ruffians. Yeah. Hired thugs. Yeah. You know, 
So you don't even know you're stepping on the big bad evil guy's toes. Right. You don't even know the big bad evil guy exists. Right. Maybe how he's introduced in the plot is some hired thugs show up and say, hey, boss wants you to back off. And they pull out brass knuckles and a, and a lead pipe. Mm-hmm. And you're like, who are these goons? And then, of course, you wipe the walls with them. Mm-hmm. But it's not its not the fact that there was a life or death pitch battle there, mm-hmm. but it leaves you scratching your head of like, hold on a second, that... Who's who's this guy that's suddenly mad who's at us? Who's this boss? Right. Why why was it why was it important enough for him to send goons after us right. to try to beat us up? You know, right. It's it's a clue to a bigger thing that mm-hmm. the combat encounter facilitates that movement in the story. The point isn't the violence. Correct. The point is the clue that the violence offers. Right. And and that's where it's are they there to hinder? Are they there to dissuade? Are mm-hmm. they there to to observe and sure. get caught? You know, are they just threatening? I mean, that's uh, threaten hap- threats happen all the time. Think back to you know pulp stuff where it's like, hey, if you don't get off this case, you know, uh, you may end up with some concrete shoes. Yeah, you like they're, a they're throwing them. family would be a shame if something happened to them. Exactly, yeah. stuff like that. Like threats are a real thing, which mm-hmm. you have to. F- the not only is it a a storyteller's opinion to put it out there, but it's also up to the players to kind of accept those as threats. Yeah, and that that sometimes is very challenging. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know. Um, so actually, you, you mentioned hindering and slowing down the, uh, the, mm-hmm. the, 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 the PCs. That's another thing that you can do with combat encounters. Yep. Sometimes the, the, the point is not to kill the PCs. Sometimes it's just to keep them, you know, uh, for instance, big bad evil guy is trying to do his nefarious thing. Um, the PCs come to stop him. He may throw minions at you just to give him the chance to escape. Yeah. Knowing he may not win this battle. He's going to take his stuff and he's going to get out of there. That's right. I mean, and that's that is a common theme over and over is is that minions are a means of escape. It is a way to be slowed mm-hmm. so that you can hear the monologue as the blimp leaves exactly. or as exactly, you know, or as the rocket launches or whatever so mm-hmm. that you're not going to get to them. Um, and that is not necessarily saying that's a scripted event. That's just saying that this encounter has that reason because there's some dis- to put some distance between the two of you. Exactly, you've gotten too close. Now there is your classic threaten the PCs with real danger. Yep, yep. Um, and that those are you know dangerous if not fatal, yep. if not handled directly. The the, but, the the enemy is has the stakes in there to want to put them down. Yeah, and and I would always say for your player's sake, let them know that it's lethal or fatal. In if the case is coming up in that way, yes. that like I am going to push the envelope on this because this threat is lethal. I, I want you to feel it. Yeah, I I have gotten in the habit of describing you know the the violence or the fury with which the enemy is striking is clear. He means to take your life. Yes, you can do it in a narrative fashion. You can't. You don't have to just look at your players and just out of game say like, oh yeah, you could die here. Yeah, you know. But, you know, the, the, he stands up and he brandishes his two-handed sword and looks you dead in the eye. You can see the fury and anger in his eyes. He means to kill you. Yeah. And play continues. Yeah. It's part of the narrative and everybody knows the stakes. Yep. Yep. Um, And I think the, the last combat encounter is, is kind of the opposite side of the spectrum, and that is to overpower the PCs. Mm-hmm. Um, some combat encounters are meant to show the PCs that you are not the most powerful force in the story. Yeah. 
Um, a dragon stepping in on very low level PCs is a perfect example of that. Exactly. They open up a, the open of Skyrim is a perfect example of that. Yes, that's where a literally, great example of it. Yeah. where a dragon comes in and literally just starts wrecking the place. You're not the center of attention. In fact, you're in bindings. Uh huh. It's just ignoring you because you're not part of the threat assessment. I was I was actually thinking the Chroma Conclave uh, from uh, from uh, Critical Role. Okay. But, uh, but it's hey, that's pretty much just Skyrim playing out on a grander scale. It's true. It's so, true. And plus, a lot of people have seen that opening enough times. Yeah, exactly. You know? uh, but but that's a great example though, where you, you're not you're not going to fight that thing. No. Even if you picked up a sword at that point in the game, you are yeah. not fighting that dragon. Likewise, know? if you look at something like James Bond, where 90% of the time, he's not going in there to murder everyone. Mm-hmm. He's getting away. He's yeah. done something, and he's done with his shit and is getting out, and it's busy. Or he's trying, you know, he, he got his bit of information and someone noticed him, mm-hmm. and now shit's hit the fan. That's the kind of feeling that you need to evoke in these kinds of overpowering things. Not that I'm just going to keep throwing minions at you until you get the f get the f out of here, but that the players need to shift their mind frame from right. what they're doing to what they need to be going after. Yes, yes, so. and I, and I think that this one's a delicate one because um, if you I, I find a lot of times if you phrase things as combat encounters, PCs will plant their feet as uh, thinking that they're supposed to fight it. Yeah. And oftentimes when you're trying to write one of these encounters, you run into that stubborn PC that's like, no, 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 we have to do this. We have to, you know, we have, we have to, to keep fight fighting. This. We have to keep fighting. Oh, God, we're all dying. We're not going to be able to beat it. And they don't think that they can run. Right. You know, it's n- flea is never an option in their mind. Exactly. And it's well, it's worth also noting that this sort of encounter can is supposed to shift from a combat encounter, probably to like a chase encounter. Yeah. Um, which is something we'll talk about at a later point. Right. Uh, but this is a this is an encounter they are meant to either lose or flee from. Right. Right. So then that kind of leads you into, OK, now that we've gotten We've gotten those defined, those two pieces defined. The thing is, is what are the lasting effects of the encounter? Mm-hmm. And we're talking about, you know, it, do they now have a reputation from this? Right. You know, with either the NPC or other people. So, for instance, those, you know, you, you get those Minotaur thugs, you don't fight them, you know, or you do and you best them but don't kill them. They now know who you are. Mm-hmm. They they know how you handled that situation. Either they're going to go get friends or the next time they see you, they're going to be like, yeah, we're just here buying a drink. You know, yeah. I, I'm not involved in this. You in, know? Uh, in in my game, uh, you guys handled some bandits by uh, thwarting them and then essentially talking to them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and when you encountered them at a later point, actually going to their camp, uh, it was – they were willing to talk to you because you had shown that you were reasonable – and that you respected their lives enough not to just treat them like filth. Yeah, like a level of compassion. Yeah. And so when you said, we're here to parlay, they were like, actually, we kind of know that these guys will talk. Right. And that changed that whole encounter. Mm-hmm. That never would have happened if you'd have tried to fight them to the death. Right. You know, if you'd have, if they'd have fled from the from 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 battle with you chasing on their heels, mm-hmm. nah, they'd have they'd have just shot on sight. Yeah. And in what was interesting was the way we kind of led into that, but... Um, with how we we prepared that conversation beforehand, even with the previous one, because even though we had control of their leader, I, I spoke to him like an equal, so that we mm-hmm. would he would have that equality. Um, another example that we we're kind of going if we want to go through some movie stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. So, um, one of mine was always the Batman scene. Uh huh. Where it's like 
Batman goes around kicking everybody's butt. So he comes into this building, you know, into this room, and he's searching through the room, and literally one of the goons walks into that room to check the room because he thought he heard something. And they just stand there. Like, he's staring at Batman in the darkness, in silence, just staring at him. And Batman says nothing. He just stares at him back. Mm -hmm. And then the goon literally just closes the door, and another guy goes, was it anything? Nah, nothing. And walks away. Because he he... knows there's one thing in that room, and that is an ass-kicking. Correct. And (laughs) and it's not like he has, you know, any other respect other than, Batman's going to kick my ass, and he's having the respect not to do it right this second. Right. If I go in that room... Batman's going to get the files in there he's looking for anyways, and I'm going to catch a butt kicking. Exactly. And or so, I could just ignore him. I don't catch a butt kicking, and he still gets the files he's so, looking so for. So that's where those things... An- another one that we always talk about is Snatch. Yes. The uh, the, the, the movie Snatch. Um, yes. There's a, there's a character <laughs> in there named Bullet Tooth Tony, um, and there's this great scene where some thugs roll up on him with like cheap replica guns and try to hold him at gunpoint and intimidate him with these things Mm -hmm. but he is a professional like hitman yeah um and so he just stares them down and gives them this big profanity laden speech about how they are nothing compared to him right and then just dismisses them right um but it's it's a it's a great uh example of like how encounters can be solved in an alternate way and then so, as a well as as a, as a storytelling counter, so you might using D and D terms, right, right. So these goons roll up on you, mm-hmm. um, and they 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 point they point guns at you, and you say, okay, what are you going to do? Expecting that this is going to break into a combat encounter because right. they are being threatened with weapons. He says, well, actually, I'm going to roll intimidate. <laughs> okay, roll it. Natural twenty, and I'm plus nine, so that's a twenty nine. Okay. okay, that is a lot. In fact, on top of that. I am going to, you are so intimidating. You are so nonplussed with them. I'm going to give you, give me a perception check. Okay, roll it. Uh, it's an 18. All right, you notice it says replica on the side of their guns. Okay, here's what I say to them. First, I don't even talk. I don't even look up at them. I just drink my beer. <laughs> then yep. I say this. Yep. And you give the whole speech. Mm-hmm. At, at the end point, you just dismiss them. Mm-hmm. Now, You've handled this encounter. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a scene a little bit later in the movie yeah, where these same thugs are sitting in a car and uh, it says something to the effect of like, you know, well, we got we to gotta get out of here. I don't feel safe here. And he says, well, we're, we're a couple of black guys sitting in a beat up car in a bad part of town. Who is going to who do you think is going to come after us? And the uh, and the other guy says. Bullet Tooth Tony and his best friend uh, Desert Eagle point five zero, and they look in the rearview mirror, and here comes the guy. Yeah, and they're like, "Oh crap, we got to get out of here now." Again, that scene would have entirely happened differently mm-hmm. if he hadn't established the mm-hmm. reputation. If exactly. he hadn't had the lasting effect coming out of the previous encounter, yep. that that's how he was going to be be handled. And the last example that I have for that is John Wick. Uh-huh. And it's literally the scene where he slides out of the darkness and puts his gun on the bouncer's shoulder up to his head. And he basically just tells him, like, he, you know, he he's like, hey, you've lost weight. He's like, yeah, 60 pounds. Uh-huh. He's like, you're looking good. Thanks. So are, are you, you here, here for business? Are you here on business John? Tonight, Mr. Wick? <laughs> Unfortunately, I am. Why don't you take the night off? And he literally just slowly turns at him and takes his earpiece out and says, Thank I'll you. Do that. I think I'll do that. Yep. <laughs> and he just leaves. And that's a level of respect because he knows who John Wick is. He knows that 
for for a decade, he, this man came here to get hits, mm-hmm. and he completed them. Mm-hmm. He clearly is still alive. So this bouncer has is is effectively nothing to this guy, and he's got a gun to his head. Yep. And yet he's still respectful of that moment. Checks in with him, like I know who you are. I saw you every day. Why don't you go home? No one's gonna think less of you. Yeah. <laughs> like you're what? not. Why did me. you walk off the job? John Wick showed up. Oh, okay. That's fair. That's, that's fair. fair. That's fair. That's fair. So that's where reputation can come in after. Yes. Um. So you can also use this as a, you know, these lasting effects as ways to approach your players differently. Mm-hmm. Again, if your first encounter comes out and your car- your players are all just murder hoboing their way through it, if if that's what they're enjoying, maybe kind of plan things in a different way. Sure. Or help pull them in a direction. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if they just start by talking out of it every time, and that seems to be really enjoyable for them... Make sure that those options are available. Don't try and force them into fights every time. Yeah, exactly. You know? And and be understanding of that dynamic that you're listening to your players and their motivations within the story. Mm-hmm. And it, it'll it change from time to time. You never know when someone's going to be super lazy, you know? Yeah, exactly. We should talk a little bit about balancing. We should, because we're, we're, we're never going to get to... You know what? We, we have a sh- podcast, and I can literally... Let this go as long as we want. That's true. This this might be a long episode. <laughs> I think we're going to run a little long. So let's talk about balancing. All right. So uh, ba- balancing encounters, like, and this is this is really what what yeah. triggered this whole discussion in the first place was, oh my god, how do you balance combat encounters? Because it's actually something that I've had a lot of frustration with, even in D anD D that has a very structured setting for balancing encounters. Um, it can sometimes be a real challenge. Um, so. One of the biggest things I think that, that, that the hurdles you're going to run into, especially if you're not playing a combat-inclined game like D&D, um, D&D does you the favor of giving everybody combat-based abilities and assuming that everybody is a combatant. Uh, not every system will do that. Uh, for instance, Knox in the Box uh, was in an aberrant game with me where we had a um, we had a bit of a combat twink. It was played by, uh, by, my, uh, by, by Sean. Okay. Um, and he had like disintegrate or something like that as one of his abilities. He just, he was, I mean, he was harsh. Um, but our other two characters were a mega social character, uh, which was Knox in the Box's character. And, uh, his roommate's character was a mega intelligent character. So how do you balance that combat encounter when one of your players can literally disintegrate things and the other two are talkers and thinkers? Yeah, it it definitely gets a challenge. And so I had this this villain who was supposed to be a physical challenge for them, and I thought I really toned him down. Like, I didn't even give him anything gnarly, like the ability to, like, throw fireballs or anything like that. I literally was just, like, a couple points in mega strength and some mega endurance to, um, you know, so he could, you know, he could he could throw a desk at you um, and maybe a small compact car or something like that. Sure. Um, and, you know, he could take a beating. Uh, you know, with supernatural endurance, but you know, he was nothing, you know, it wasn't Magneto or anything like that, you know? Right. Oh man. He still, he still took like two of them out in one turn. Like, so, and this is where I kind of step into it was, is that when I look at combat encounters, I don't just look at, you know, the guy fighting whenever PCs step into combat. Mm-hmm. Nine times out of ten, when you're sitting at a table of five or six different players, or 11 or 15, um, one of them is immediately going to be your tactical genius. And I don't care 
what D&D group it is. If you put in front of them a rogue, uh, a couple of arch, you know, combat archers, you know, using crossbows, and a dude in the back waving his hands with a wand, one of the dudes at the table before the combat dice even hit are going to go, take out the mage. Mm -hmm. Because that's where your brain goes. Hit the guy made of paper in the back who's literally launching fireballs at us. Then we can work our way through the room. That still is true for your NPCs. They're not just going to randomly pick somebody, you know, and based on their intelligence and what they consider a threat Mm -hmm. is what's going to change that. Again, they're not going to want to die is another part of that. So, like, for instance, if you've got a bunch of wolves that come across your camp and they're hungry... They're going to take some opportunity there to go after something maybe weak that's a little farther away. Mm-hmm. But if they're threatened, they're going to pack up and they're going to either try and leave and defend themselves in the way out from whatever the heaviest threat is. Or they're just going to leave altogether. Right, they're not right. going to get involved in that. On the other hand, if their motivation is that they're starving, they haven't eaten anything for a long time. They might be a little desperate. And they're going to go after... The edge. They're going to keep their eyes focused on whoever's the biggest attacker, mm-hmm. but they're going to they're going to try and circle around that weakling and drag them away every single time. Whereas other people might be like, "Hey, if we take out the heavy in this group, the rest of this group is just going to fold, and we can we don't have to worry about that talkie over there or the person cowering behind the table back there. You know, we're just going to focus on the big problem that's set in front of us, the thing that's really going to take us down. Mm-hmm. And that's where you kind of got to think about where their mind frame is at and what their targeting is going to happen. So, do we have some interesting chat going on here? Uh, yeah, we actually got a lot of chatter going on. Uh, okay. Kind of about uh, two. Well, I have two two of the three players from my Aberrant game. In oh, the, nice. <laughs> so it's it's created some chatter. So I apologize nice. for the uh, for the brief break there. No, 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 no. Um. Uh, but but yeah no it, it's uh, keeping keeping those sort of things in there like when I, whenever I write uh, encounters um, I always take into into account the the the, the break conditions mm-hmm. of the of the enemies you know yeah. when are they going to decide a certain amount of losses are going to be unacceptable and they are going to flee the the, 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 the the things yeah I don't think I've had a single fight yet in my D and D game where everybody where where sentient opponents stayed to the end of the battle yeah. Um, I think every single encounter you guys have had with the bandits, someone has run. Yeah, no, no, definitely, definitely. And I think mm-hmm. that's except. And then the other part of that is when it, they aren't on the run. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to say you can't use waves. Sure, like waves are waves are a great way of balancing an encounter. Yeah, I mean the Mandalorian scene. If you haven't seen it, um, he's going after uh, an encampment uh, uh, to go on the, on the initial stuff, and uh, there's a bunch of goons there, mm-hmm. and he you know takes on those goons with somebody else. I'll leave it at that in case you haven't seen it. And then more show up out of the woodwork. They come out of doors. They show up on rooftops. It's a very uh, Western style of things. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they handle those situations. It kind of pins them down for a second. But they're still going to keep fighting. And then a giant Gatling gun comes out. Like all good Westerns. You know, the big weapon comes out. And now they're like, oh, crap. Now we're pinned. Now we have to do something. We either flee or figure out a solution for this problem. And that kind of staging in an encounter can definitely lead to a point where the players feel overpowered and now they have to make a decision without it just being 60 guys in a room. Exactly, exactly. You know? 
And you're not necessarily even, once you get up to that level, you're, especially at that distance, you don't have to worry about the minutia anymore. Mm -hmm. Now it isn't, I need to account for this guy's attack and this guy's attack. I'm going to account for the eight archers firing on you. You are suppressed in this position. You know that if you take a step, there's going to be at least three arrows going into your body. Yep. Without a doubt, that's going to happen. So now you have to manage this group of combat Mm -hmm. in a different way. And or find a unique solution to getting out of it. Yeah. So. Uh, uh, Hulavu in our live chat asks, uh, would you ever balance an encounter for a specific player for either story or player engagement purposes? Absolutely. Of course. Absolutely. Uh, Sometimes you have a player that you you either, like like you said, for narrative Mm -hmm. purposes or player engagement purposes, you want to throw a little red meat to. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I've I've absolutely done that before where, um, you know, if you've got a player that you don't feel has gotten... um, significant limelight you know time in the story mm-hmm. uh or maybe they're feeling a little bored or maybe they're feeling like their character's a little useless in the party or something like that yeah, yeah absolutely throw them an encounter where they're gonna shine in yeah um and e- even if you like it's it's good for new players too mm-hmm. uh if you've got like a veteran table and like one new player mm-hmm. throw that new player a, a combat encounter where they're gonna be like just the absolute ace and even if you need to use it as a tutorial of like, mm-hmm. you know, if you use this ability, it would be really great right now yeah. because it would hit these guys. This is the situation you should use that ability in. Right. Just thought you should know in case you didn't fully understand how that worked. Exactly. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Roll some dice, man. Yep. And boom, the dice at the table. The smiles brighten up. Everybody has a great time. And yeah. it costs you nothing but 15 minutes and some minions. When we were doing Shadowrun, Vicky's character, she wanted, she she didn't know what to do in Shadowrun. It's very uh-huh. technical. And she went with a very simple character named Meat. It was a mm-hmm. giant troll with a bow and a whole crap ton of luck. But he was super strong. And we were literally in the vol- involved in a chase. And she's like, okay, well, what can I do? Well, you have a giant bow that basically shoots tree limbs. Uh, at high velocity. Let me show you how goth hunts. Dragons. And so, like, okay, well, well, you know, what, 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 you know, what? It, can you shoot that truck back there? Sure. Pulls out the bow, pulls it out, fires, gets a critical hit, and then dumps a bucket of dice on the table for the roll. Mm-hmm. And literally, we just the the, the basically the whole truck explodes because she blew the engine block out with this thing. And that player walks away from the table with a memory. Exactly. We all did. Yep. We all did. And and it showed a reputation for that troll as well. Also, and, and to kind of piggyback off of Hulavu's question, too, I would actually say that if you can do that on multiple tiers, that's a great way of solving that problem of I've got a mega social character, a mega intelligent character, yep. and a combat twink, is to break up the encounter so that the big slugger guy is dealing mm-hmm. with the combat twink. Yep. And then you give maybe some minions... Mm-hmm. That can easily be mind controlled by the mega charisma character, mm-hmm. you know, or, or or put under his his sway, as mm-hmm. the name of the character was, um, and you know, so while he's while the, while the slugger's dealing with the with the combat twink, he's dealing with the horde of minions, and maybe the intelligence character is maybe going like, okay, well you guys handle that, but they've also sounded off some alarm klaxons. I'm going to be over here hacking the computer system, trying to get this all shut off. The movie, The Mummy. The final fight sequence in the mummy. You've got yes. you've got the it's heavy fighting brilliant. the heavy. You've got a guy trying to read out of a book quickly to redirect he's the not monsters. A he's an intelligence right. character, but you know, he's contributing. Exactly. You know, and so each one of the parts of that scene fit together differently. Precisely. So think about that kind of I mean it's theatrics in my mind, uh-huh. but really it's stationing off good sequences for your players. Yes. Yes. yes Nothing absolutely. wrong with that whatsoever. 
And again, I still think that falls under uh, the waves and, and layering. Absolutely. So, all right. Uh, again, I'm just going to put this out there because I've got it in the sheet multiple times. Lethality le- is not necessary. Mm-hmm. It is it is important for certain games, but I don't think it is necessary to push lethality all the time. I I, I think it's I think it's too overdone. I think it's too overdone. Now, I think I know where you're going next. The the, the big question. Yeah. The big question. That showed up on here, and we both kind of were like, oh boy. Oh, yeah. Okay, so with combat encounters, especially with lethality possibly on the table as a thing, do you fudge the dice? I'm going to flat out say it. I've done it. Yep. I've done it. I've done it, too. I've done it, too. But I think it's it's one of those age-long questions, and I think the the answer is very individual. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer to do you Mm -hmm. fudge the dice. No, I don't think so, either. I think there's definitely... Um, I think there's, you should always be prepared. Yes. You should always be prepared to, to fudge dice or to make, you know, make a mistake in your dice rolls or whatever. So when, when, let's real quick, just for, for yeah. anybody who's not for, entirely for new, new storytellers, fudging, fudging the dice is when you roll like maybe an attack roll against somebody and it's mm-hmm. like a natural 20 you're gonna crit them and you know you're just gonna obliterate them but you know that that character really like or that player doesn't really want to lose their character and if it if that character dies maybe the whole combat encounter goes to crap and it's just all gonna be bad around if you do go forward with that crit and you're like um yeah no huh he rolled a three he, he missed yeah and you lie through your teeth about what the outcome of that die was for the for what you believe to be the betterment of the story and the more and the enjoyment of everybody at the table. Correct. I'm not saying that it hap- that you should do it all the time, but I am saying that it's a it's an important thing to keep in your pocket. And for the most part, I say you fudge to their favor. You should encourage your players. I mean, rolling dice to murder your players is not a beneficial thing for them. It doesn't get the story further along. It it removes characters. You don't just remove character main characters from your book. You don't want to do that. Yeah. So fudging to their benefit moves the story forward, especially near end of fights. That's the best time to do it. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And the other thing is, end rolls are not always necessary. If there's two guys left with minor hit points left, and someone's going after them, you can, finish it off. Yeah. You can literally just narrate that. Like, like okay, you chase them down, you finish them off. Yeah. Are you chasing them down to finish them off, or are you chasing them down to pin them? Uh, I'm gonna pin them. Okay. You, okay. You, you you capture them. You pin them to the ground. Tell me tell me how you take them down. Yeah, handily. Yeah. Yeah. Tell tell me how you do it, yeah. and then we'll run the story from there. Right. Um. You know. I don't know. I I'm I'm kind of of two minds. I I think like if if you're to the point where you're, I've had it happen before. I think where the die roll ruined the story for me. Um. I remember specifically one seventh C game. Okay. Where um, we had gone through all this work. I think this was uh, Fleischer's Floundering Fisheries. Um, <laughs> okay. Where uh, we were trying to do all this political maneuvering to get this one nobleman on our side mm-hmm. uh, to essentially join forces to basically re- unite this country. Yeah. And uh, we had gone through all these machinations. We had pulled all these strings, done all these different encounters to try to really get all of our ducks in a row. And we had a really good plan. Mm -hmm. And then it basically came down to we needed to convince the guy that all of the stuff that we did for him was good enough for him to join our side. Yep. And we rolled – you you gave us a big handful of dice basically, and you rolled it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and it wasn't high enough. He essentially rolled to resist our 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 pitch. Yeah, and it it felt bad. Yeah, it felt bad, and I, I believe I gave you that that feedback yeah. at the time yeah. too. I was like. I don't feel like after all this effort, it should have been left up to a die roll because yeah. I feel like the dice screwed us out of the outcome that should have been narratively satisfying to us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And in, in even looking back on that as a storyteller, I was like, ah, I thought I had, I was following mechanics in my head that this was going to be an epic role and you guys would have all these numbers and it would me- have this great meaning. And I was like, and it failed. Yeah. It laid flat on its face. I was like, crap something that shouldn't have been left up to chance yep you know? and then that's the thing is is that if you leave something up to chance nine times out of ten chance will mess with you chance will mess with you so yeah. i would say if you're if you're considering fudging the dice consider not rolling yeah and just giving the narrative outcome that you want yep you know yeah roll behind the screen that's the term yeah roll behind the screen because dice making sound could be anything mm-hmm. um another... all right so a couple other fun things Okay. Yeah? No, sure, sure. I'll go fun. All right. So, here's how to make your combat encounters a little little more interesting. Some some some, oh, pep, right. some pepper and spice you can throw in there. A little, little bit of flavor? A little bit little, put a little pepper at the end? A little, little pepper? A little, little salt bay. Okay. Um all right. So, things to consider, especially mm-hmm. if you are using like miniatures and, and like maps or terrain or something like that. Um if you if you if you've seen our Instagram, uh you know I kind of go all out on you these do. things or you at do. least used to, you know, back when we were able to meet in person for our D&D games. Um, is, uh, some verticality in your, in your encounters. Um, everybody wants to put out the, the, the flat combat map, mm-hmm. but consider if you're able to having some terrain that has some verticality to it, uh, uh, a cliffside, uh, a, a cliffside, or even just like, a, a tiers, you know, of mm-hmm. like uh, some steps that go up to mm-hmm. like a, a raised area of your map or something like that. Mm-hmm. Think about like. In your own downtown area, you know, how many places where there's just like a slight incline and there might be some steps up and it might only go up like five feet. Sure. But then there's a little garden area up there and there's, you know, railing or whatever, railing or whatever, you know, but, but that sort of verticality adds visual interest and tactical interest too, Mm -hmm. because it might, you know, two spaces that are right next to each other on your battle map might not be combat adjacent. Mm Mm-mm. Because of verticality to each other. Yeah. So consider that if if you if you have those options. Yep. yep. Um, and and if you do do the the uh, the uh, miniatures and such like that. Mm-hmm. Um. Even if you don't, you can still theater of the mind's eye that sort of stuff. Yep. Yep. Um. But consider the third dimension. Mm-hmm. Um. Another thing is uh, encounters with complications. Oh God, yeah. Okay. So. And we're not just talking like you're fighting a ship and it's slick and it's rainy. We're talking about that. All the way out. Uh huh. All right. So one of the one of the best things I think that like Dungeons and Dragons did in fifth mm-hmm. edition was layer actions. Mm-hmm. Um, I love layer actions. I'm waiting to use them more. Oh, I know, I know. You just gotta find you've gotta find the right spot to do them. But uh, but they're so they're so choice when you do. Um, and what layer actions are basically is that the environment itself. Mm-hmm. Either because it has been uh, magically altered by you know the the being whose layer it is, or because it has been prepared or trapped in a certain way, or maybe even just because it is naturally precarious and offers its own dangers. Mm-hmm. Layer actions are essentially things that happen on um, a certain initiative count, right? That just happen to the to the environment. Um, typically, there's two or three different things that will happen. You choose between them. 
Um, they may be gouts of lava that are coming up from the floor. Sure. Um, I've seen one where uh, there was a uh, uncritical role where there was a supernatural creature that uh, commanded a great number of drowned ghosts. And they were swarming in and terrifying everybody for, you know, rounds on end mm-hmm. if they didn't make a wisdom save. All sorts of great stuff you can do with there, like falling rocks. Mm-hmm. If, the, you know, a giant uh, uh, dragon fighting inside of its cavernous thing might be thrashing around and, like, shaking loose some stalagmites from the mm-hmm. ceiling. Yeah. You know? Um, those can make combat encounters pretty dicey and pretty Very much more, so. and a lot more exciting, you know? You know a, a, fighting another person while a kraken is tearing the boat apart. Yes. You know, was another thing. But that, uh, you know, you you have things that will affect both sides. And you can take that chance if you want to to have it affect the other side as well. Um, sieges are great for that. When you've got lots of people and siege weapons flying in. Oh, you know, yeah. Your, your combat may be only happening in a very small section of that. But every once in a while, a, a freaking siege rock comes oh. in and breaks some of the terrain up. A hail of arrows, you yep. know. Or, yeah, exactly. You know, Or the spell you know, summoning thing is going off. And so things are lifting off the ground a la anime style. Mm-hmm. And now the terrain has changed. So now what was flat is now broken up into pieces and floating around. Yes, absolutely. You know? Um, and I, another idea I, I had, too, was, like, fighting over possession of an object that oh, could shift yes. the tide of battle. So, like, for the instance... The light switch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so imagine, you know, a battle where you've got, like, an orb that can summon bolts of lightning from it. Mm-hmm. Just sitting in the middle of the room. Right. Anybody who touches it can use their action to summon a bolt of lightning. Sure. And that includes the enemies. So now you've got this, like, King of the Hill territory control thing going on on top of the combat encounters. Mm-hmm. So it adds a ta- another third tactical element to it. Yeah. You know? Um, don't be afraid to do things like that that will mm-hmm. really spice your, you know, spice thing. You came up with the idea of a, uh, like, a, a staff of, you know, a staff of sea, you know, a, a staff of the seas or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you control where, the monsters and the ocean. Where there's a kraken attacking, mm-hmm. and he who holds the staff commands the kraken. Right. You know? Um, so that, that, or you have stuff that ends when you take care of it. Um, you know, a la this light switch, uh, will turn, you know, this thing will be the light switch that turns off the mechanized army, right? you know, or that turns off the, the lava flow or whatever, you know, it can always be like the one, you know, the rockets going to launch in, you know, 60 T minus 60 seconds. And so each step of that process creates things from like, you know, all the engineers in the room trying to protect it, you know, with the guards and stuff to everybody starting to clear the room because now there's going to be fire in said room, mm-hmm. you know, and once those that fire starts up, that thing's going to launch into space. So, like, there's all kinds of things that you have to do while these guys are shooting at you to try and stop the situation. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, all right, let's see here. Um, I think we took care of that. Talked about that. We talked about that. Ah. If you're a player, yeah, what are your obligations for handling encounters? Mm-hmm. And in my personal opinion, when you step into an encounter, step into it as your character. We do that really well with non-encounters, but we don't necessarily do it great as an encounter. So meaning if my character goes in and has a conversation with somebody, well, I can pretty much do that. But if just before dice hits the table for initiative or even after it hits the table, if your character's like, holy crap, what the hell's going on here? Play it that way. Mm-hmm. You don't have to immediately go into combat. Mm-hmm. You, even though you might be on the first initiative, your first initiative reaction might be, "Yo, yo, yo, put your guns down. Let's let's just step off this. We don't yep. need this right now." Yep. Like I'm, I'm just, I want to drive somewhere. 
You know, and that's all I'm doing. I'm going down the street here, you know? I have, uh, with my cleric character in uh, Sean's D&D game, um, done whole round actions where I did nothing but stand there and preach. Yeah. that Just that it. Just, you know, I'm going to take the defense action and preach this yeah. turn. Yeah. There's There have been really great scenes in movies mm-hmm. where, like, uh, I think Robin Hood did it. Where Robin Hood's fighting somebody and, uh, Aze- you know, Azim. Azim, Azim yeah. is literally doing nothing, and he's just like, "Aren't you going to help?" He's like, "You seem to be doing just fine." Yeah, <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you, you got this handled. Yeah, you and, you whine like a mule. You're still alive, exactly. And like those kind of moments can happen between players. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing wrong with like the thug of your group, the the fighter. Like, you know, hey man, give me your money, and the thug just kind of looks over at him and is just like, "I'm going to go get a beer." <laughs> and then that guy literally turns to the mage, give me your money. Aren't you going to do something about this? I said I'm going to go get a beer. You know? <laughs> like, you, you should probably handle that guy. Re- I think he needs some money. <laughs> it, it reminds me of uh, the, the the only man rule that I know. Oh. And that is that uh, if, if one of your buddies is getting his butt kicked, you are obligated to jump in and help him. Mm-hmm. Unless, at any point in the last 24 hours, you've looked at said friend and said, you know what that guy needs is a good ass kicking. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, before we get into questions, I do want to say that I, I highly recommend you guys. You know, I know it's International Podcast Day, but um, go check out um, Guy's uh, YouTube channel. Um, he actually has another video there that I will be posting up there. Uh, that's three noob DM combat mistakes, and it does really good talking about rules based stuff, being NPC focused, or dealing with combat only. And it goes into a higher level of detail than we've kind of gone with this. Um, and breaks down some of the stuff we've talked about, uh, funny enough, to almost an nth degree. Yeah. Um, but it really helps with just trying to avoid the stuff that you make critical mistakes on. Mm-hmm. That your brain gets focused on, you go, man, I shouldn't have done it that way. It is great for that. And his YouTube channel is How to Be a Great Game Master? Correct. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Correct. So, Correct. yeah, go, go ahead and go check that out. How to yeah. Be a Great Game Master on uh, on YouTube. Um, really great advice there. Yeah, it's solid stuff. So, we have lots of questions. Oh my god, we have so many questions. We do. And this was bound to be just like an oh, hour yeah. and a half show. It really was. We didn't It's a mini series, thankfully. So, for those of you those of you listening to us on uh, on on the, the pre-recorded podcast, uh <laughs> Yeah, welcome for a little bit more time. Yeah, you get all the free podcasts. That's right. So, uh cuz it wasn't free before. I guess it was free all the time. Um, do you want to just start into uh, Let's go with the questions of this week cuz I I'm looking at this other one. I almost feel like this one needs to go somewhere else, this first question. This first question from the previous week? Yeah, because we said we want to talk about this with something else. And That's I'm, fine. I, I kind of want to put this one off. but That's fine. All right, so the Mad Elf asks uh, that he's curious about the perspectives on the positive and negative aspects of crunchy, detailed, specific combat versus streamlined, abstract systems. So on the systems basis, you know, mm-hmm. for context, Hero and GURPS are very detailed, while World of Darkness and Mouseguard tend to be more abstract and less in the resolution process. Um, I like them both for different reasons. It depends on how I'm, uh, I'm feeling. For instance, um, I think that D and D does a good job with crunchy tactical kind of stuff. When you've got a group that wants to do tactical things and kind of move through a tactical mm-hmm. numbers based system. And I think mouse guard shines exceptionally well with the i'm gonna sit on the couch and have a conversation with our friends and mutually tell a story and when combat comes around we'll discuss it like we do i'm not really gonna weigh heavily into anything and it's going to be a very narrative discussion and for me that's 
positive. I, I see both of those positive. I see the negative in it is that for players who have a hard time with uh with abstracts, with you know, theater of the mind's eye. Yeah. Those yep. abstract stuff can get very challenging. I was I've, I was gonna say that. We've got actually, players yeah. at our table who have a hard time when I say, you know, well, the room is this big and this is in it and you find this and you guys are coming in on the second floor and there's a large flight of stairs. They're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Can we draw this up? Because mm-hmm. I, I have no idea what you just said. Right. Like right, I'm lost right. completely on where we are. And so things like that for when you're dealing with like, you know, uh, more theater of the mind's eye stuff, it gets very challenging. And having a tactical system where you could literally set down a grid and help those people through a tactical layout those those games are are envious to those people. They love that kind of moment mm-hmm. because it's, it's it brings them back into the world, the physicalness of it. Yeah, I I think I think for me, like you said, it kind of scratches two different itches. Mm-hmm. Um, it uh, there is a part of me that really likes the concrete, crunchy rules of tactical games like D anD. d I think I, I complain a lot about GURPS, but I think I would actually enjoy it if I got got into a game. Um, I'm going to say one thing before you keep going because I think it might help. Yeah, what's that? I think the crunchy games give you the feeling that you're beating it. Yeah, they maybe not beating it, but they make they feel make you feel more in control of the situation. I think that you have a win that that you have that you have more control over the environment because you can manipulate it and with more minutia. Yeah, whereas the other side doesn't quite give you that. It gives you a a story that's more loose enjoyable like yeah. it's it, it's just it's relaxation even when it's a tense moment it's not combat tense mm-hmm. it's a different kind of intensity it's dramatic and int- it's dramatic tension yeah yeah um so i mean uh, positive and negative aspects of, of of them versus one one or the other uh you know obviously i think the, the, the crunchy versions are going to give you a lot more control mm-hmm. over the minutiae of things uh which can be very good they're gonna be a lot more hard details for people who have uh trouble with abstract um, descriptions and concepts and stuff. Even like that. In, from the storytelling aspect. Yeah, uh, but you know, obviously, you're gonna you're getting down into more minutia, and mm-hmm. so therefore, it it tends to bog things down a little bit more when it may not be that important. You know, um, whereas with abstract systems, uh, it's a lot more narrative, um, and so you don't get into all those like minor little minutia. Yeah. Uh, in uh, I think they flow a lot better from well, a story. Like it's less, it takes you out of the story less. I think. Um, like for, I th- I think one of the main problems I have with like crunchy systems is that um, it feels like you're shifting modes between plot and yeah, yeah, like from narrative, and now all of a sudden we roll initiative, and now it's a board game, right. and now we're gonna shift back out of board game mode and into narrative mode again. And sometimes that shift isn't always clean or clear where or when it should happen. It's because of the pauses required for it. Yeah. And, you know, when you step into that, you're waiting for the player to make an action. And that action in their mind is very tactical and, you know, I have to take my time to figure this out. I don't have a snap response. And it that time slows down Mm -hmm. that feeling of narrative yeah Uh, whereas with your narrative systems um Mm -hmm. if if you can if you can work with the abstract nature of them Mm -hmm. um where it's not important if you're five feet or ten feet away you know your spells don't necessarily have a hard range to them you know things like that it's just kind of whatever's narratively reasonable and within within the, the, the rules that are sketched out right um 
if you can handle that aspect of it, then they don't have that mode shift. No. Because combat is just another narrative element. Yep. And I think that's great. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, but I'm very excited about, like, Fate's combat rules, mm-hmm. where you don't even have, like, a map necessarily. You have zones. Mm-hmm. And they're, the zones are defined as abstract spaces within the battle. Right. You know, so you might have, like, uh, the studio is one space. Mm-hmm. And just people who are in the studio are assumed to be able to affect each other in combat. Right. doesn't matter if you're five feet away from them, ten feet away from them. Right. You, you can make that happen. You're close enough because you're in the same zone. Right. You know, whereas, like, upstairs in the house is another zone. Right. You know? Okay. Okay. Let's grab another one. I think that was good. All right. Uh, so, Knox in the Box asks us, uh, sometimes a certain uh, in certain video games and possibly tabletop, there will be a third-party C faction to offset the typical A faction versus B faction dynamic. Sometimes the C faction can be con- convinced to help you. Other times, turn against you. What are some ways to seamlessly put a mechanic like this into a combat scenario and enable quick decisions and story direction? Is this even advised? Sure. 100%. Absolutely. I would say uh, the easiest way that I've always seen it is the bystander. It's a reputation based on bystander. For instance, uh, you know, uh, Star Wars. I don't like you. He doesn't like you either. Lightsaber comes out. Arm gets chopped off. Does anybody move to help those two guys who just tried to take on a Jedi? No. You Did said it... you said lightsaber got involved. I am. You know what? My beer is very interesting right now. Exactly. Yes. Mandalorian <laughs> did the exact same thing. Uh huh. You know. On the other hand, how many times in movies, especially westerns, have you seen the good guy get into a bar fight with like five or six other guys, and he's got like one other friend, and maybe the you know the 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 you know, dancing girl who's there, you know, smashes a bottle over one of the guy's head who just was lifting up a chair. Mm-hmm. You know, that's where you get that part, that third party faction and that weight that what what makes these people good? Do they have a weight in that room? You can also you can also come into the the whole uh, enemies of my enemies are my enemies. Ah, uh, uh, the Dick Tracy thing. Yes. Yeah, where uh, so party mm-hmm. A and party B hate each other and they're fighting. But mm-hmm. party C shows up and both party A and B hate C. Right. And so party A and party party B form a temporary battlefield alliance because they both agree that C is a bigger problem hmm. than whatever they've got going on. Dem Kardashians. Uh-huh. <laughs> so or Kardashians. Uh, that, that's that's a, that's another great way of playing it. Yeah. Um but it really all depends on what's narratively uh, appropriate. But absolutely throwing a third party co- uh, uh, into into a in A versus B conflict. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. We mentioned those other, you know, great ways of complicating things, uh, complicating your, your battles to make them interesting. Yep. That's a great way to make them interesting. Yep. You never know when The Rock is going to come in with scorpion legs. Yeah, I can't <laughs> even smell what he's cooking. Nobody can. Nobody right. can. It's way too strong. Uh, all right. So Overwatch asks, uh, have you ever had a random or minor background encounter take on a life of its own and become the focus of a campaign fixed or, or campaign fixture? Um, and, cons- uh, and also, is that something to be encouraged or avoided? <laughs> Padre and Guise. <laughs> you're, you're, you're already laughing, so uh, I'm just going to pass this one Padre right off Padre and Guise was a one-shot, I, I had created an encounter in a town where there was going to be a priest and, uh, basically informing the group that there was going to be an inqu- inquisition. And now granted, this was not a combat encounter directly. It was going to lead to a combat encounter, but it was basically plot element coming out. And this guy was just a priest in the area and he was letting, you know, you know, that letting the group know that 
basically there was going to be Inquisitors showing up in town soon. And <laughs> the group rolled hard into making him their friend. And it totally changed the direction of that character. Because suddenly now he was enamored with one of the characters, uh-huh. a, a female character. And he he needed to save her and and help her. Because, you know, the Inquisition was going to come and... You know, they might see things differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, yeah. <laughs> Madre de Dios was the was the word of the day. And now that character, that NPC, has carried through the story yeah. and into other stories. He's I've become a major around. NPC. Yeah. He has been. You, you started handing him out to uh, to other people in the 7C community, I think. Yeah, actually, yeah. I, I did. There was a there was a, uh, a question that came up on, uh, I think, on Reddit where they were looking for uh, NPCs, and I put together that so other people could have him and use him in other campaigns. So, yeah, definitely have had that happen. Um, is it something to be encouraged or avoided? Honestly, I, I think you it should depends be... depends on your game. It, it, yeah. I mean, plot rolls in different directions, and you never know what your players are going to attach to, for even for a short period of time. And there's nothing to say that you can't roll your plot with whatever that thing was. Um, I, I knew a story about uh, that from... I heard from one of, uh, one of my other players that I play with... Um, in another game where basically there was a, a girl stuck at the bottom of a well and she was supposed to get killed, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so that they would go and search what was going on in the well. Instead, they saved her, brought her out, fed, found out she was homeless, then fed her, watered her and sent her to college. And sent her to college. <laughs> <laughs> like they built yeah. up a fortune around her to yeah. support her into the future. And the storyteller took that and used it. Mm-hmm. Not heavily. Didn't get as far as where he wanted to in the story, but she was going to become a character. Yeah. Like a yeah, main piece that was going to go forward. Not necessarily in the direction that they intended. So Yeah, I don't, I don't think I've ever had that happen in my game. Um, but with regards to uh, whether it should be uh, encouraged or avoided, um, I think it really kind of depends on what type of game you're playing. Um, I think if you're playing a little more of like an open world, you know, hey, let's see where the story takes us sort of thing. Sure. Yeah, lean into it. Yeah, why not? You know, if that's where the story's taking you, that's where the story's taking you. But uh, I I tend to run more linear-style stories mm-hmm. um, with with more of an expected outcome. So uh, I'll be honest, I would probably downplay something like that. Sure. And try to get people back on track with what I've written. Um, but, but if I find it interesting or inspiring or, or feels like it isn't a derailment, mm-hmm. then I'll lean into it. Okay. Um, but I, I, I think I, I have to also be inspired by that, by that diversion as well. Sure. If it's just, we want to spend four game sessions talking to this NPC because we think they're, you know, they're, uh, they're, they're amusing, mm-hmm. man, I got better things to do with my time yeah. than you fawning over some random NP- NPC I threw in there. Agreed. <laughs> so, uh, all right. Uh, next question is, let's see here. Samantha, uh, asks, uh, sorry if this has already been done. I know you had a whole episode about remoting. What are your thoughts on video calling or voice calling for remote sessions? I think it depends on the game. I mean, I don't have a problem with just voice. Yeah. Um, for most of my players, but like, I think in games where reactions mean something, mm-hmm. um, video helps. I think in in games like City of Mist or um, uh, or any of those apocalypse games where combat isn't so much but there is a lot of character to character and character to npc vocal discussions mm-hmm. sometimes seeing someone's face helps a lot yeah with with getting those points apart and i know for some storytellers 
um, knowing that their players are engaged with the story is helpful for them early on. Yes. And yes. so seeing them at the play, at the at their computer staring at the screen or staring at the game and feeling engaged helps them know I'm a good storyteller. And I think from a player perspective sometimes you need to give that up to your storyteller. Mm-hmm. You need to let them know, you know like, you know, I, I have no problem having my camera on, you know, cuz I'm going to be focused on you in this game versus, you know, suddenly Tom is never at his mic and when you're asking for him all you hear is some noise in the background like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm going to do this." You know, and you're like, "Were you, were you even here? Do you, yeah. do you know what's going on?" Yeah. You know, and and that can be very disenchanting for mm-hmm. storytellers. Uh, I think that the, the 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 one common thing that all tabletop role playing games have in common is that they are a social um, activity. Yes, and I think the more you can do to enhance that social aspect, seeing other people's smiling faces, seeing the reactions on their faces, um, even even just more than keeping tabs on them to make sure they're paying attention, but just you mm-hmm. know, like just seeing the delight on their faces when mm-hmm. you drop a plot point on them or mm-hmm. seeing everybody laughing and smiling when when the you know noble asshole bard says something that's just witty and off kilter and you know you want to punch him and, and kiss him at the same time you know, <laughs> <laughs> Truth. Um, you know Truth. seeing those reactions out of your players can really make or break the enjoyment of the game you know yeah. and I, so i i think having had game sessions that were just voice and having had game sessions where we did have cameras involved uh over this pandemic, um, I think uh, I think I see the value in a camera. Yeah. Uh, I also think my camera is absolute rubbish. And I, I picked up a new one. one. I picked yeah. up a new one. They're they're not that expensive, but what's funny is how how much they went up in price just because of the pandemic. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. I bet. I bet. Yeah. There's uh, actually a really nice one at uh, Costco for sale. Let me know if you need it. Okay. Okay. It's on okay, okay. Super sale. Uh, finally, we got Hulavu who asks, "I had an idea for a while. Is it possible to play a system like D and D where all attacks take place at the same time?" Something like all players make their moves in secret and reveal at the same time. I'll let you take this. Okay, 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 okay. So we got talking. Oh god, and I can't remember if we did. We were talking about this on the air, or were we talking about this in person about uh, uh, Crimson Skies. We were talking about this with uh, Overwatch. Uh, off in, the air. Off air. Off okay, air. Okay. Okay. This was so. <laughs> we were on headset, which is why you remembered it that way because we were doing it over Discord. That's why. Um. So we were talking, and this is when we were um uh, brushing up on uh Fossa yes. for our um. It's a it's a Fossa product for, for a Shadowrun uh, uh system spotlight. Yep. It was a it was an old Fossa product, um called Crimson Skies, and it was a essentially a a hex based um uh. 1920s prop plane dogfighting combat game and uh how combat worked in that game is everybody wrote down their moves mm-hmm. and then you all revealed them at the same time yep um and so and then trying to predict what other people's moves would be was a whole gameplay mechanic yeah cuz in it, and then the the dice you were saying affects how their uh, whether or not they have a bit of information or so not. So moves have a distance, a direction, and a facing. Yes. Um. So what what hex face you would be pointed towards? Mm-hmm. How many hexes you would be moving, and in a left, right, or center direction? Right. Um. And so depending on if if you were tailing them. Mm-hmm. If you were behind them, you could predict their movement. Mm-hmm. And so depending on what you would roll there, depending on what information they had to give you. Right. I could just tell you, well, I'm going to the right. Or I'm going to tell you, I'm going two hexes to the right. Right. Or I'm telling you, I'm doing a two uh, a two 
are a maneuver. Right. And now you know that I'm going two hexes to the right. I'm going to be facing this hex facing. Mm-hmm. You know exactly where I'm going to be. Right. So now you know where to move to stay on my ass. Right. And pump that plane full of lead. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so tactically, yeah, this is a thing. And it was really cool. Yeah, I, I think it would be interested, interesting to see some mechanics shifted that way. I don't think D&D could do it, but I, I want to say there's got to be something out there that feels like that. Um, so, uh, but it, it could be challenging, but I think it works really well for Crimson Skies and things like that. Yeah, I think, I think tech, because, because of the format of it, I could see it working very well in Battletech. Yeah, I mean, technically Battletech kind of does that. Yeah, that's because because you true. don't go down when you take your damage from whoever shot you. That's true. All combat, all, all damage is resolved at the end of the turn. Correct. So, like again, you you could stomp the yard with somebody, and then their unload on you could stomp the yard on you. Yes. So. Yes. Um. So I I think more in a tactical sense. Though I think the more tactical the gameplay, the better this works. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it would work for something like D and D. But because I, I still think it's still too narrative and turn based, but I don't know. I I think you could you could make arguments to do it that way to make it more reaction based. Doesn't Shadowrun have a mechanic where your initiative you actually go backwards, declaring what you're gonna do, Ooh. and then the person who wins initiative goes has to declare, or essentially doesn't have to declare, because there's no way to declare it to at that point. Everybody states their intentions, and then you go back That's up Battle initiative? Battletech Battle does that. Battletech Battle Battle does that. You okay. go backwards and forwards, and it's based upon initiative, because that way the last person, it's move and attack, and in reverse. Right, okay, okay, okay. So that's where you're remembering that. But I think there is something like that out there, because um, uh, I am remembering it, but... But basically, yeah, if if you lose initiative, you have to tell everybody what you're going to do. Yeah. And then you end up doing it last. Right. So everybody gets a chance to react to you, and that's that. That's you technically go first in initiative if you lose. Mm-hmm. But that's your penalty is because everybody gets to react to what you just did. Yeah, uh, Settlers of Catan is a board game. Basically, has that as well. Like you get you you get first pick. But the person who gets last pick also gets to lay first. So you may get your first position, mm. but you're also the last person to get your stuff down on the table. Yeah. So uh, Overwatch confirms one version of Shadowrun did that. Not yeah. sure which version. Yeah, neither am I because, uh, I mean, I started in on second edition, but yeah. Yeah, same Z's, and I barely ever played it, so. Yeah, so. But no, I, I think there's some merit there. Yeah, there's definitely some merit there. Um, And there's, there's also some... Uh, uh, while we're on, while we're briefly on the subject too, there are some um, alternate uh, initiative systems out there for D and D that make things a little more tactical, and it's not just as simple as a D twenty roll. Um, sometimes there's like you rolling, you know, rolling your hit dice, or you know, having uh, a variable initiative in combat and such. Um, I, I would do a search for like alternate D and D, you know, initiative, and see what you come up with. Um, cause there there could be some interesting systems systems out there for you. Yeah, and. I think that's pretty good for today. 
Yeah. All right. So uh, next week we're going to get into continuing the topic with mini series with social encounters. Um, you can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave on Instagram at st underscore conclave. Uh, if you're listening to us live right now on mixlr.com, you can find us there at uh, mixlr.com slash storyteller conclave. And our Discord uh, link is vi- is available in our Twitter or on our website at https slash storyteller I want to thank our, our Patreon members uh, for supporting us every month. That's uh, Knox in the Box, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, and everybody else who uh, who do- donates to us. Thank you so much for supporting us. We uh, we love every one of you. Thank you so much. Our pre-show music is uh, was by Arcane Anthems. You can find them at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music was Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find them at geefrogmusic.weebly.com. And our outro music, which you're hearing now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find her at soundcloud.com slash midairmachine slash tracks. We'd like to thank our families and everybody else in the podcast community who's basically making this a wonderful thing to do. There are plenty of other people out there, so please go listen to some of the links that we've uh, established. Maybe you'll find a show that fits for you. Yeah, happy free podcast day, everybody. Yeah, happy free podcast day. Thanks, Vicky and Sean, for uh, helping us through all of this chaos that we do all the time, every week, like clockwork. Our friends who are there with our games, who've given us these stories to have, and you, our listeners. We appreciate every one of you. We love you. Good night. Good night.